So Mr. Kenneth Cole is here and he's been doing some incredible work in, 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 in giving back and making a difference. So as we, as we get started, uh, I think the first thing is that is, it's really to say thank you, uh, Kenneth. And all of you all have received this canvas bag. And um, I want to show this to you because this is from Kenneth Cole. And what's important here is also what it says here. Being different is what we have in common. So, and as you showed the square peg in the round hole, um, why, don't, why don't we, that's, yeah, there you go. So, you know, that's, a, that's an impromptu question because I have a prescribed set of questions, but I want to start there. May I? Um, uh, would you, would you kind of give us a sense of that from the stand, being different? In my business, I'm in the branding business, I guess. So, and... You know, we focus so often on, on at the starting point often is what we, what, what, what do we have, diff, what, what, what are our differences and ultimately how do we converge? How do we bring it all together? How, how does it all work together? How does it look good on, in the same closet? So I think that is a reality. We often, um, our differences often divide us, but there's no reason they shouldn't unite us. And um, because it's, I think, physiologically, we're, they were 98 point something percent the same. And there's that little bit that often is what creates all this divide and, um, in, in our lives and, and unnecessarily. Thank you. So, uh, Kenneth, as we, as we start, you know, we just went through COVID. And you created the Mental Health Coalition. Why did you create the Mental Health Coalition? And you know, I, I had um, spent a lot of years working in, in HIV, and um, I, I mean, a crazy amount of years. And and I I sat back, I had taken a, 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 a deep breath, and my daughter actually was working with us, and she had started an initiative in our company um, with this organization called NAMI. Um, on uh, uh, on on workplace um, anti-stigma work uh, in the workplace, I think it was called, and it was it was remarkable, and I everybody embraced it, everybody felt good about it, and um, and then and I was looking at it statistically, kind of from a an analytical lens, and one in two hundred people were still living with HIV, a pandemic that was at, at, up until that point far worse than anything we had ever um, experienced in our lives. And, but then WHO says one in four, one in five are living with mental health conditions. Yeah. So, and I quickly came to realize it's, it's four and four, five and five. It's everybody, because if it isn't you, it's somebody you love, somebody in the family, in the community, the workplace, but everybody was, wanted to talk about it or understood it or embraced it or um, was moved by it. And... Um, which I had never experienced, because to talk to people about HIV was, was, was an effort sometimes to bring people to the table. But it, it wasn't here, and this is something that people emotionally felt so moved by. And then, but yet, and apparently two-thirds of those people live in the proverbial shadows because of stigma. Stigma, I believe, by the way, killed more people. More people died of AIDS from the stigma than from the virus itself. And because of their inability and their reluctance to make public their circumstances, get treatment, and access resources. Um, and then it becomes so much clearer, and partially because 
of, of my conversations with NAMI early on that um, this was as bad as it was then, it's even worse now, and so much more pervasive. Um, and then COVID comes along, and as bad as it was then, there was a study after SARS, and um, apparently two th a third of the people after extended quarantine, self-isolation um, from SARS, experienced lasting symptoms of depression, another third of PTSD. And the quarantine and the isolation was nowhere near as, as, as pervasive, as extensive for SARS as, as it was for COVID. So one can only imagine how profound the implications were. And I, and I do believe that it all goes back to that stigma ultimately is, um, uh, is, is a perception, and we're in the perception business, and I said, well, you know what? I don't have the qualifications to talk about mental health that you have, or probably anybody in this room has. I'm probably the least qualified person in this whole room to be talking about mental health. But I, do, but I come at it from a different place and from a different lens. And, I, um, and maybe equally emotional, maybe, maybe not, I don't know. But, um, and I, I experience it around me, and I see people living with and struggling with it. And, um, and I think it's basically what it comes down to how we talk about it and how we think about it. And there is no acceptable vocabulary. I spoke to five psychiatrists and asked them for a definition of depression. I got five different answers. And, um, and none of them were empowering. So there, there, is no, there is no tools for people to discuss their struggles. So, and so I thought this could be a, an ambitious, probably naively ambitious task to take on. And, and, and inspired by my daughters, by the way, I should tell you that. Yeah, well, you know, we want... And NAMI. Thank you. So it's your Thank fault. You. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. You know, you... You're lending your name, you're lending your brand, you're lending yourself and your team to, to, to NAMI. And, you know, um, we, we'll speed through this, but I don't want to go too far without saying thank you because this is an investment you're making to come out here uh, to be with us. And to, 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 as we looked at the video, there's no one that won't take your call. There's no one that won't take your call. We just saw it. From Oprah to, 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 to everyone else that was there, Kevin Love, all of the different names. So build on why NAMI. Well, it's why, well, NAMI, I think, is a, is a great authority on the subject. But it's why mental health, and it affects everybody, and it moves everybody, and it and impacts everybody in different ways. And, um, but, you know, I, I, I feel that, I always, you know, you say about how you talk about how you think about it. I think... If you reconfigure how we think about it, how we look at it, there is no resources that are made available to you guys, hardly considering the struggle that's, that, that you're representing. And it's because of the, of the narrative and the vocabulary. Um, and, and I think if you sit back and you take and you say, and you look at the, the emotional, um, compassionate case for mental health, and then you look at the business case for it, the compassionate case loses every time. Um, it'll lose nine out of ten times. A, there is an empathy quotient, and we're all exhausted, and we're busy feeling bad for all these aspects of our lives, all these people around us. We hear about mental health connected to all these adverse circumstances, and we see homeless in the streets, and we see people dying from gun violence, and there's all these other circumstances, and, and it's very hard to emotionally bring yourself 
to action, I think, when you talk about compassion. When you talk, make the business case for it, it's so compelling. It wins every time. And it's the difference between an investment and an expense. In business, nobody has extra money for an additional expense. Everybody has money for an investment. Every CEO's job is to invest with, the, with an appropriate return on that investment. So, and if you can articulate that return, and, and I believe, by the way, that in the workplace, if you say to an employer, um, you make that you are losing in retention and recruitment and productivity, left, right, and forward, um, because you're not making the appropriate investments, you have their attention. And because their job is to realize a return on their limited, fragile, uh, limited and uh, um, assets. So, and if you can show them how you can create that return, it becomes a little less emotional, but so much more viable. And it's not just in the, in the workplace, it's also in the, in the state house and, and, uh, and in Washington. And you make the investment it's, it's staggering, and the statistics, we can, maybe we can get into them later if you want to, but, um, and they're overwhelming, and they're incredibly compelling. So, um, but it, it's, it's how you look at it all the way down, and I think part of it is changing the narrative, and changing how we talk about it, how we relate to people. And um, so I should probably let you... No, that's okay. <laughs> you, you know, what you're framing is it's not a cost, it's an ROI. And if we look at it as an ROI and we get into the quantitative and the qualitative, we can really understand. So what, what Kenneth has just spoken about, and I'm going to share a few statistics with you uh, in terms of workplace mental health statistics. Productivity, lost pro uh, productivity uh, as a result of two of the most common mental health disorders. Anxiety and depression cost the global economy a trillion dollars each year, and that's from the World Health Organization. That, that, that's fact. Uh, presenteeism and absenteeism. The cost of presenteeism to businesses was over 10 times higher than absenteeism. Absent workers cost employers around the U.S. $150 billion a year. But those who came to work but were not fully productive cost $1.5 billion um, uh, per year. Um, ROI on treatment for every $1 invested in scaled-up treatment for depression and anxiety, there is a $4 return in better health and productivity. I make the case as much more than that, by the way, but you can keep going. That's all right. And then, and the economic burden of major depressive disorder among U.S. adults was estimated to be $236 billion in 2018, an increase of more than 35% since 2010. I believe it's much more than that as well. But keep and, 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 and I'm going to stop there because I think as I keep with these metrics, Kenneth is going to say it's higher, it's higher, it's higher, and I think he's right. But what we wanted to do is to give you a few of the stats to, 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 to move you from the empathetic to the actual ROI and the business imperative on this. Um, so as a designer, you're in the business of perception. That's what you do. I mean, and, and Kenneth Cole. So which it, it, you're an incredibly important voice in this conversation. May I ask you, how do we change the perceptions around mental health? Well, it's partially by changing the vocabulary and changing the narrative, and, um, and it ultimately changes culture. And it's ambitious, and it's hard to do, but you just, it, you just you start the conversation, and ultimately it, 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 it takes hold, and I, I, um, and I do believe it. By the way, I was looking up recently, and, um, and I found it fascinating. 6.8 people, 6.8 million people died from COVID over, I think, a two or three year period of time. And 40 million people died from AIDS. 
um, over about a 30-year period of time. In the peak year, I think it was 2.7 million people um, died. And there's a, a huge amount of people still living with it, but relatively healthy lives today to a large degree. Um, the case, that they say 8 million people die every year from um, mental health-related disorders. Um, and, and that's a staggering number. And the cost, and that is 14.x percent of the, um, of the global uh, population. And, um, and the cost on, in every aspect of our lives is staggering. And I don't think people quantify it, qualify it, process it properly and appropriately. And it's not just the quality of lives, it's not the quantity, it's also the quantity of our years, it's the quality of our years. And, um, and I think it, uh, I think it, it changes, it changes in, 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 in so many ways. Um, so, but one of the things that's, is so hard to process, is I come at everything from a business point of view. Yeah. And, um, and I think that's one of my value adds. It's, again, I'm not a public health, mental health psychiatrist, whatever, that the skills that so many people bring to this that are so valuable. But I'm good at aggregating people who have those skills, so that's been a, a helpful tool. Um, but when you look at, um, and you say, well, ultimately, what does success look like? What do we have to accomplish? And what are the steps to success? And how do we know if we're making progress along mm -hmm. the way? So I, I typically come at almost everything that, from that lens. And, um, uh, and to begin with, it's not just there's no vocabulary to speak about mental health. There's no functional vocabulary. And we're talking, working with um, Mark Breckett up at Yale, who has this visual vocabulary, which I'm a big believer in, because, um, and it's, and it's non-stigmatized, and it's, it's global, it's universal, and it's, and it's accessible. Um, and there's other tools in that regard. But there's no way to, to diagnose mental health emphatically, um, no reliable, specific diagnostic um, mechanisms. It's not a thermos, there are no thermometers, there's no CAT scans or x-rays or blood tests where you know definitively how one's doing and then you can, you can assess how they're doing today versus yesterday and are we making progress. And absent of resources applied there, I don't know how we ultimately accomplish we need to, and it has to come out, we have to figure out how to come at it from, from both um, directions. And, um, and we need biomarkers. So, and we know mental health is a real disease and it's a real struggle, and we all know it. So why there aren't appropriate resources, allocation of resources, um, and until there are, I don't know that we'll ever make the real progress that we're gonna need to make. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, you know, looking at the, 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 the other elements of, of this from the standpoint of where we are in 2023, um, how can we reach vulnerable communities and especially young people during this time, Kenneth? Um, and what role should and could technology be playing to help people? Um, and what has the Mental Health Coalition been doing in the tech space? So, um, so, this is a big conversation, and I know many of you guys may have seen the report by the Surgeon General a couple of days ago. Mm -hmm. um, but um, that aside for a minute, I think that 
the tech world are a bunch of really um, impressive business people. And they set out to, and tasked with building community. And if you look at the mission statement, because I was looking at it recently, of, of Meta, and it's basically to enable people, empower people to build communities globally, something to that effect. Mm -hmm. And you look at the mission statement of TikTok, and it's to, um, it's to create, uh, bring joy into, create creativity and joy into people's lives. Um, but no one talks about health and well-being. That's not their, that's not, none of them are qualified, they're less qualified than I am. Um, and, and that's not what they're tasked at, that's not what their stakeholders are holding them to, right. that's not how they get bonused, that's not what their, um, their, what their, their, uh, their, their specific um, analytical um, mandate is on, on an ongoing basis. So, you know, we're holding them to a standard that's arguably unfair, but, um, but we, need to, we need to join forces. And yes, what they're doing, there is and has been some unfortunate consequences, unintended consequences. They know it. They don't know how to fix it. They want desperately to fix it without compromising their business model. So how do you basically address the fact, yes, it is a part of the problem, but how do you empower that process to be part of the solution? And so how does everybody come together? So that's what we're trying to do with Coalition, to, to kind of work with tech and work with um, these extraordinary organizations. Um, some, I'm, some of our partners are here today um, from Crisis Text Line and Jet Foundation and a few others. Mm -hmm. um, so how do we create synergy and scale amongst our organizations so everybody can have more leverage, accomplish more with what they have, and at the same time, empower that, those platforms that so effectively connect the world seamlessly and have unfortunately caused a lot of the, the, the uh, fallout has been what we're all watching and experiencing every day. And um, I mean, during COVID, I mean, kids are alive today because they had access to those social platforms. That was their only connection to the world. And otherwise, they would have been isolated far beyond any reasonable way. And um, so, and then, uh, so, but at the end of the day, so how do we empower that platform? How do we create standards and hold them to those standards mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that are, that are, that are, that responsible, understanding their business model, and at the same time, the needs, the mental health, and the well, collective well-being of everybody. And it's critical we do it because, and everybody wants it to happen. I do think there is a commonality there as well. And we can all work together on this. And, and we're trying to do that at the coalition. And hopefully we're going to make uh, some announcements soon about that. That's wonderful. And you know, that, that mental health coalition um, coming from business and lending your, your skills, talents, and, 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 and all of your uh, experiences into this space. How have you seen collaboration as you have built the coalition versus competition and conflict? People love it, and, and, and it's just never been available. I mean, we typically, even in the business world, we, we build our businesses somewhat siloed. And because, you know, you don't know who's friend or foe, and, mm -hmm. and, um, and everything is so tra transactional and so fragile, and what's, what's fashioned to you may not be to me, and what's fashioned today, today may not be tomorrow, and so, so it's all interpretive. So, 
you don't, it's not natural for everybody to want to come together and, and collaborate, but there's so much value. You, you can create so much scale here. There's so many of our partners who have never sat at the table together, and there's one plus one equals so much more than two if you get people to work together. There's an, old, there's a, an adage that I use a lot, which I like, which is, it's an, actually, it's an African proverb, which says, um, alone I can go fast, but together we can go far. <laughs> I use the same one. I use the same one, and it, 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 it's wonderful. Um, as, as we continue this conversation, um, you don't have to do this. Um, you've chosen to do this. Um, what does the future look like to you as you continue to do this? At any time, you could say, you know what, I'm going to roll up shop and, 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 and just do my brand work. And we're all excited. I mean, you know, we see the Kenneth Cole brand and we want to go and buy it. Uh, so uh, uh, it, what will keep you uh, continuing on this path and this journey, Kenneth? You know, I, I, look, what I'm trying to do is so crazily ambitious and, and naive. And, and I don't, I'm not really doing any of the work. I mean, there's so many great um, partners. Dr. Dan sitting at our table. He's a, a big partner of ours on a lot of projects. And, and everybody who's committed so much of their life to making a profound difference in people's lives. And all we're trying to do is give them a platform and also enable them by connecting the dots and Build, taking down the walls, build, creating, building the proverbial bridges. And, um, and I think it's inspiring to see what these guys do, how committed they are, how dedicated they are. It's inspiring to see people like Dan Gillison, and, um, who's committed his life to public service and to making a, a meaningful impact. And communities like this, who gave up their Memorial Day weekend. Um, <laughs> Um, to be together, to kind of lock arms and, um, and discuss opportunities and circumstances and, um, and, and future generations. My daughters are so committed to this. It's, it's so impressive. And, um, and I do think, I do think we're going to see this, we're going to see change happen, but it has to be orderly thoughtful and there has to be, it has to be quantifiable, articulated. Um, road, uh, road, uh, markers along the road so we know that we're, we're making the right progress or heading in the right direction. And, and I, there is such a great receptiveness in our group and everybody's enthusiastically, anxiously gets together. We're working with tech and they're loving the, the collaboration, the understanding that they're not the enemy. Um, and that they want what we want. They just mm -hmm. don't want to give up their business to, they can't afford to give up the business to do it because then it all breaks down. And um, so I think we're making an impact. I think we can make an even bigger one. And I'm so appreciative of, Dan, what you do and what NAMI does, and for having this platform to impose my thoughts upon these people on Memorial Day weekend when they could be uh, somewhere else. <laughs> well, we appreciate what you're doing. Um, You've invited us to a few of your events, and we've noticed that you have just an incredible cross-section of society at your events, quite a few young people. And as we look to, to engage young people, do you have any thoughts for us on how we do that? You have to, I, well, they say you meet people where they are. So what language are they speaking? How are they speaking it? To whom are they speaking it? And just understanding, you know, it don't, um, and I was, moved by um, 
the presentation earlier in the program um, and uh, by the Native Americans. And, you know, we're not moving it. It's moving us or we're part of it and we're, we're one. And it, 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 at the end of the day, either we all win or no one wins. It's not a zero-sum game. Mm. So how do we, you know, listen? And how do we give them voice and give them a platform? And, and they're wiser and more insightful than you can imagine, than we can imagine. And, uh, I, but we know that, but we, it's harder sometimes to, inst- to institutionalize um, those sorts of things. And, um, but I do think that there is, um, I, I think we have to change culture. We have to change our receptiveness, our willingness, and, um, to engage with and to be part of the solution. So, um, uh, and it's, it, it requires thinking differently. It, it's, yeah, it does. It's not like it was before. How have you seen the conversation evolve, Kenneth, you know, in terms of uh, we have a, through COVID and, and through the 8 million lives lost, we've seen great sense of, we, we know that for our helpline, um, we saw an increase of over 300% in help-seeking calls coming into us. We know there was fear, uncertainty, and doubt that actually was all about uh, that period of time. Now we see a tsunami of trauma coming with a number of our young people. We're also seeing a new conversation about mental health uh, and, and wanting to understand it. What can we do in this coalition and in collaborating to actually accelerate this and, and amplify what's needed? Because as you heard the lieutenant governor say, if there, if there was a system, we would fund it, if you would. So what, right. what, what's, what's your vision and what's your hope? I think we have to articulate very clear um, uh, markers and what we need to accomplish. Um, the medical community has to focus on biomarkers. We need very clear indicators of how people are doing that are, that, that are not stigmatized. When you have a physical illness, you know, you, you, you know it, you talk about it, you address it. And... Um, Mental Ill- illness isn't any different. So, but we don't have the tools to talk about it. And then, how do you describe how you're feeling? That shouldn't be that hard, but it is hard. And um, I think I was just talking last night. Just the basic vocabulary, how are you doing better? Better is not an absolute word. Um, it's an expression of a moment in time. Mm-hmm. So how are, there isn't, that vocabulary doesn't exist. So how do we create a narrative? How do we give people, how do we have the tools how do we learn to embrace, to accept people for how they are, and to um, and and um, the stigma is really debilitating. And I and I, I I very much appreciate that you guys are doing what you're doing. And also, by the way, just to, for context for everybody, so Nami has said, well, would you guys would you mind working on a project at the an anti-stigma project? Um, we think if you could do what you did with HIV in the past, it, it's this is so much bigger and, um, and so much more pervasive and, and so badly needed. And, then, and I had said to the NAMI team, I said, but this is so much bigger than NAMI. This is not something, even if we were to take this on, this has to be kind of a, it's a big rebrand. It's the whole, everybody's got to lock arms. And are you okay if we reach out to everybody else? And NAMI said, go for it. So we, we reached out to the, uh, we thought the most important influential and diverse um, uh, service providers of mental health related issues. And basically, unequivocally, they all, they all said we're in. And, and our only agenda is to empower them and to give them a resource and a platform to promote 
all the great work they're doing and access more resources than they're able to get because there are no, virtually no resources are being made available to you guys. So, and it should be considering, you know, cost benefit, considering the pain that exists that's so pervasive, um, you guys should be funded as should everybody else to such a greater degree than you are. And I'm sorry, could you say that part again? <laughs> I can't miss the moment. I said you should be funded um, to an even greater degree. And it's, it's and, but it's, you need the, the narrative, you need, to, you, need, you need to talk about it, you need to present it properly. We all do, it's not just NAMI, it's every, so we got, it's an investment, it's not an expense. I don't want you to give me money, I want you to invest in your future and your children's future and the next generation and make everything more, um, pave the road that we're all about to embark upon. And, um, and, and, it, and it's critical we do it. So, and you're doing it not for me, you're doing it for yourself. And you're doing it for your, for your kids and for the next generation. So as we look for the, the investment piece and, and we talk about ROI, how important is it for us as a not-for-profit to be able to report out numbers to potential investors? Look, I think that this is all business. Whether you want to accept that or not, it's business. So, it's a, so your expenses, you have income and you have expenses. So, and how do they connect to each other? How does the income generate incremental expenses? And you need to figure out how to show it. So, and to the degree you can show it, you're going to have all the money you can, you can handle. Mm -hmm. Because, um, and to the degree you can show tangible, reliable, predictable impact you know, we did, oh, I was going to tell you this, we did a, a, um, a study camp slash campaign with Meta about six months ago um, on, it was a campaign, that was, it was a study, but we guys did it, we set it up, it structured it as a campaign to um, talk to people about um, awareness of mental illness, mental health related issues. We, they gave us $300,000, mm -hmm. they donated, and um, we worked on a creative execution that reached 19 million people, in and of itself unprecedented. For every dollar, we reached 68 people. So, and of them, 550,000 people declared for the first time their um, openness to explore their own mental health struggles and their willingness to be open to other people's and their openness to resources, to critical um, resources. Un that, according to Meta, never done, been done before. They, were, they felt that was a huge breakthrough. We did it again with a BIPOC group um, a few months later, similar results. So now you have, it, so you have predictable, quantifiable, reliable, transparent um, outcomes. And you can change culture. Um, and you can change people's predisposition and you can change their openness to circumstances. It takes... Um, it takes working together, it takes collaboration, but it also takes clear, communicatable goals, objectives. And, and I do think, by the way, tech world, you know, Meta says we want to connect, connect communities, make, make communities accessible to everybody everywhere. I also say how they've turned everybody into their own brand. Everybody today wakes up and curates their brand on their Facebook, Instagram, Twitter feeds. <laughs> And they don't, just they don't just curate the content, they, they curate the, 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 uh, the audience. So, and who, they has, who has access to their mm -hmm. brand. Um, so every one of you are competitors, whether you know it or not. So, um, but it's, so what they've done is, is extraordinary. And, um, 
where was I going with that point? Um, so, but it's, it's clear, quantifiable, transparent goals, objectives, and, oh, I'm sorry, where I was going with that is that yeah. if, and then TikTok says we want to encourage people, to, we're going to give people the ability to be as creative as they can be and, and, and have, bring as much joy into their lives. Just add the word health in front of all of that, and everything changes. And, um, and, and, make, and you don't have to change your business model. You still have to engage people everywhere, and you still have to um, it, 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 it keep people as, as attentive as they am. But just be aware, part of your business model is to do this in a healthy way. Um, and I think it changes things. It does, it does. And you just shared something that tangible, reliable, and then you use that word impact. So in terms of impact, and, and, and Kenneth and I share something in regards to quotes. You heard me use one yesterday. Knowledge allows us to do by choice what others do by constraint of fear. We, we can't navigate the fear from the standpoint of the overall funding, but we can navigate the knowledge. So that's why we need the information in terms of our programs. How many lives have those programs touched? How many people have actually taken the programs? And then the narrative in terms of the impact that it's had on lives. So that's critically important. Uh, what I wanted to say is, uh, as, as uh, you mentioned biomarkers, uh, I don't know that all of you all know that uh, uh, NAMI has been involved in something called the Accelerated Medicine Partnership with NIH. IMH. And Dr. Josh Gordon will be here tomorrow to talk to you about research. But that is one looking at the biomarkers regarding schizophrenia. So NAMI is, is a part of that. And one of our board members actually has a, a, a voting seat in terms of that work and on that advisory council. So NAMI's very involved in looking at the biomarkers for that. A stigma-free workplace, uh, that's another area that we're focused so on. So we were actually, Kenneth Co. Productions, um, a, a shameless self-promotion, um, 2015, we were one of NAMI's first partners in the stigma-free workplace program. And I can tell you, it was very helpful. And, um, and it made the atmosphere um, more comfortable for people. Yes, thank you. Thank you. But think about, think about a, a CEO and them trying to make sure that they can attract the best talent, retain and develop the best talent, and promote the best talent. And if they were able to put something on the, 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 the front of their buildings, you all know about the lead certification and that kind of thing. But if all of a sudden, if that CEO, if she can say that I have a stigma-free workplace and this is what it looks like, it's very engaging. And as long as we can quantify what that and qualify what that looks like in terms of what do you mean by stigma-free workplace? What are all the different types of instruments and tools that you make available for me to be a stigma-free workplace? Then it's very empowering. And it is financially beneficial. So that's, that's what Kenneth is talking about. And, and, and he started that work. And by the way, before I forget, thank you for the tie. Um, so... <laughs> You know, we, 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 we know that we've seen a tremendous increase in, uh, from our helpline and using those resources. I know you've seen a tremendous increase. We have a, a, a podcast called Hope Starts With Us. And in that podcast, we always end with our guests with asking them the question, what gives them hope? Kenneth, what gives you hope for the, for the future in this work that we're doing? It's leaders like yourself. It's, what's, it's the great work that NAMI's doing and that Crisis Text Line and Jed and, and all these organizations that have such dedicated, committed um, resources that are focused on on on, on impact and, and uh, improving their 
specific communities, and uh, and it's um, and it's the next generation. I think we can. I think we can make a difference. I, I believe personally that I said recently um, that you know it's great to be known for your shoes, but it's better to be known for your soul. So um, that's a bad pun, but also. And in the in the in the, uh, in the uh, while we're talking about bad puns, also as it's 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 not just it's more important more important than what you wear is is that you be aware, and not just what you stand there but what you stand for. So these are things that we talk about every day, and we contextualize our lives and what we do, and recognize that nobody needs anything that we sell. Um, we have to make them feel good about wanting it, but realistic of the fact that they don't need it. But there are things they do need. And there are things that are very important in people's lives um, when they wake up in the morning, even more important than what they're going to wear. And, um, and I, I don't know. And, and people's emotional well-being probably is number one on the list, so I feel. so, And that's something that I've committed myself to. And, uh, um, and, uh, and I'm, so I'm proud to be with a, a room of people who have done the same. So th- thank you. So my, my closing comment to you is on behalf of all of your friends here, the NAMI family. You know, you and I are men of quotes, if you will, and also men of action. There's a quote from Andrew Carnegie that says, the older I get, the less I listen to what people say, I watch what they do. So we're watching what you do, and you didn't have to be with us right before Memorial Day, just like you said about everyone here. So you're a doer. And we're so appreciative for you investing your time and being here with us. So, you know, we just want to say thank you. And we're excited to be a part of the Mental Health Coalition and doing this work with you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much.